Welcome to the Disability Podcast, a podcast where we talk to people living with disabilities. We hear about their life, learn tips, tricks, and share ideas to help each other and our listeners with new ideas to solve real-world obstacles. So let's not waste any time and jump right into it. This episode of the Disability Podcast, we have Charlie with us. So Charlie, why don't, instead of me giving a brief explanation of of you and an introduction, why don't you uh, take us and just explain everything about you, you know, just generally? Generally, okay. Um, Basically, I'm a disability content creator, fellow podcast host, um, always been quite entrepreneurial but also happen to have a condition called cerebral palsy which basically for those who don't know means that i can't walk and i uh, tend to use mobility aids such as walk, uh, walking frame wheelchair or crutches depending on the situation i find myself in um so it basically just means that i have to think about life a little bit differently to your average individual and how i sort of get around those daily tasks that some people do a lot easier than what I do. Um, so that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Um, my brand is built around talking about disability in a fun and friendly way. So the idea behind it is that uh, with the brand, we can talk about disability in a way that everyone understands, everyone feels comfortable and no one feels judged for not knowing how, how disability impacts individuals because a lot of the community and a lot of the time it can feel like quite a heavy subject. So I try and bring some humor yeah. to it, be a bit of a bit of a numpty and uh, make people laugh and entertain them while I'm at it. Well, that's the, that's the hope, whether I actually achieve that, I don't know, but yeah, you know, I mean, that's the dream, basically educating people in the, in the fun way. Yeah. From my point of view, that's the best way to educate people. And I, I try and do that. Did you have, cerebral palsy from birth or are you no so i'm an accident a bit of a unique individual i actually um uh, cut a long story short i got sent home from the hospital i was 10 weeks early and i got sent home from the hospital too early and didn't have enough white blood cells to fight off infections and um basically ended up uh catching a throat infection which then led to me stopping breathing uh, and then my, led to my heart stopping and minorly terrifying my parents. Uh, now I think about that story and I sit there and it does make me squirm a little bit. But um, because of lack of air to the brain, it um, caused what we now know as cerebral palsy. I also have slightly, for those that are watching video, have slightly deformed elbows, which basically means that they're fused, which means that I can't fully extend my arm. But that was actually um, just caused by being premature, but my actual cerebral palsy happened after birth because of lack of oxygen to the brain. I'll just give you a, like a brief roundup of me. I'm mentioning every podcast, but basically the doctor said to me or to my parents at the time that I had got cerebral palsy or my minor version, hemiplegia, either <laughs> before, during or after birth. I was a cesarean section. Yeah. And they found the cord wrapped around my neck. So that's what they think the cause was. So, yeah, in most cases, I've, well, most people I've spoken to in most cases seem to have, yeah, some sort of um, oxygen defic yeah. deficiency at some point during, <laughs> during their first year or so, if they're, if they did it through being a child or being a baby. I think it's hard. It's always interesting as well, rewinding it now as an older individual, like that's a scenario of obviously, as I said, my heart stopping seven times. Now I replay that and I know I've just joked about it, but now I replay and think, Jesus, like the intensity going through my parents' head at that time going, oh my God, we've just had this kid, he's 10 weeks early and now all of a sudden he can't breathe. When you actually yeah. strip that back and think about it, terrifying. <laughs> And I can imagine like the stress that goes through the uh, parents' mind or well, everything yeah. must, it must be a bit overloading, honestly. I mean, at that point, obviously we're not conscious so we don't really know what's happening. So it's no. just, <laughs> we just appear, which basically leads me on to my, well, to the start and to the, my first real question. It's um, when did you become aware that you had cerebral palsy? 
It's a really tough question to answer because I can't really pin down a certain time that I became aware of of having cerebral palsy. I think it was more as I got older. I always say younger people are very much more accepting of disabilities because they they just they they don't know, so they just crack on as normal. They treat you as normal, and then you explain the situation when you get further down the line. I think the where it became more apparent was when I got into secondary school and started moving in those social circles and you try and find trying to find your feet who you are you're going through puberty and that was where I faced more of like the teasing and the bullying and so on um so it's hard to pinpoint like when I became aware of my disability because I've always been aware I will say always but like from when I from when I can remember I've always been aware that I am disabled, I am different, but it only became super highlighted when I got to secondary school. Cause but prior to that I just thought, oh, I walk with a walking frame, no one else does. Like that that was literally the sh- the depth of my thought process into it. It was only when I became older that it sort of started stemming into a bit more of a problem. Not a problem. I think problems are well, more of a I became more aware of what it was doing and what impact it was having on my life. Do you think that a child's curiosity sort of negates any ill thought during like primary school time. So they're not interested in, you know, bullying or anything like that. It's just more like curious questions. Like, okay, yeah. it's different, but I just want to know why. Yeah. A child says it how it is. Like that is my favorite thing about dealing with children with disability. Like I get it now. Like you get the kid stopping in the supermarket, going like, "What happened?" I literally, I love that idea of like just so. What's going on here? Like I just love that because no, like no, like adult person would automatically go to that. Now, yes, that situation can happen, but when a child says it, there is just something different about it. It's it's so genuine and it's so. As you say, it's not malicious in any way. It is literally just, so tell me. I, I don't understand. So just tell, and that's how we need to be. Like, that is my favorite time to deal with people because they're literally, it's literally just curiosity. It's not, no one's th- thinking negatively of anyone. It's just literally, so, what, so what's going on they here? Want to learn. In, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I always, whenever I look back at it, I'm always like, yeah, everyone was aware that I, there was something. I had hemiplegia that, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't normal, but no one really took notice of it until I'd say, yeah, beginning of, for some reason, beginning of secondary school, that's where it all hits off. Yeah. So, um, what was your, so I'd say now that we basically said that primary school, it's all just curiosity and that's basically how we would want everyone to act. Would you yeah. say even adults, yeah. just, if you're curious, be as blunt as possible because then we can i think as well it's like you... just be ge- don't be genuine like be genuine i think the bit that makes talking about disability awkward is when they're like oh can i say this can i not oh have i said the right word have i done this? that's exactly why i created the brand that i have because that was the problem i was facing all the time it wasn't necessarily the questions they were asking it was just because they overthought it they built it up in their head and then what they've actually spewed out is definitely not what they meant, but it's come across in the wrong way. And that's the crux of the problem. It's just don't overthink yeah. it. Like, look, when we meet people, we want to learn from each other. How conversations start is you learn from each other. First question you normally ask someone is, how old, like, not how old are you? It's normally, like, what do you do for work? Like, what do you do to pass the time? That's normally the first sort of few conversations. And it's getting to know a bit about the individual. So it's about just, it's always like, Everyone goes straight in for the jugular. Like one of my favorite things is whenever you talk about disability, they might not even have asked like what what my disability is. The first thing they ask, so tell me about your dating life. And it's like, why is that the first place we start? Like I don't mind explaining it. Straight to the straight to the personal questions. Yeah, can we do the basics first of like, hi, this is my disability. Hi, how are you? Yeah, just like yeah, this is yeah. Hi, this is me. This is what I do. You know. Yeah. I think, although I think that's kind of, because when you're at that point, they know that you can survive everyday life, obviously, because, you know, you live, you're, you know, you're an adult who's independent, but then there's yeah. always, you know, the gray zones where they're like, this is the stuff that I want to know. <laughs> yeah. So when we say, so when you say being blunt, we say, 
be blunt, Austin, at the beginning, don't jump in the yeah. deep end straight into the personal life. Yeah, I think, as, as I say, I think my biggest thing is don't, I, if you overthink it, then it doesn't come across as genuine. So I think my main goal would be if you genuinely, like, if you genuinely want to know, portray that. Don't, like, don't be, build it up in your head and, and create this little story that you're going to, like, try and spin. Just if you want to ask a question, just bloody ask it because I'd much rather you ask it than sit there staring at me for 25 minutes while I'm just having a beer. Yeah, it's. I mean, we can preach as much as we like. Yeah. But, I mean, slow. I do think, though, more recently it's become. It's, it's, it's grown in the right direction. I think it. The, I think the, the difficulty is, it, is it's stalling because of, as I said, with the creation of my brand, it focuses on like like doing it so that no one feels judged like i know we've just had that discussion of like i ideally approaching the conversation but i think there's so much within the several community of like what's the right word to identify us what's the right terminology what should we say what shouldn't we say there's too much of that where people people who aren't exposed to the what this world they don't know where to put their like they're what it's like walking through a minefield they don't know where to put their foot down so like that's yeah. I think that's where we need to get to of like look I always say if someone comes up to me and wants to know wants to know about me or about my disability I always go look let's forget the the rubbish of like can um can I say this can't I say this if if I have an issue with a phrase that you use I will explain why I think it's an issue and why I have difficulty with that word but I won't pass any judgment on you because a lot of the time it's the vocabulary that's available to that person at that time now a caveat to that is obviously it depends on the intent if you can tell that someone's trying to be malicious with it that's a very different story but if you can just see that it's a genuine i don't know what other word to use so i'm going to use this one then i think that there needs to be an argument for allow people to make mistakes because we all do and i think that's where we need to get to with the conversation of disabilities like where there's less judgment on people just looking to learn because a lot of the time, like you say, that whole scenario of someone coming up to you and going, so what happened? Like, the crux of that is basically someone being curious and wanting to learn. So let's actually dive into that instead of making someone feel awkward for not knowing. Like, no one likes to feel like the idiot in the room. And no one. And I think yeah, that's I what mean, we need to get away from. We spend too much time trying to think of, oh, you, some people don't like this. I mean, my perspective is... The original words are fine. If you want to, if you want to start the conversation and learn from there, fine. Use the first words that come into your mind, and then you can, you know, adapt 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 your vocabulary later. Because, yeah, you know, it's just it's starting the conversation. Once you've started the conversation, then you can lead the conversation in any direction you want, and then educate them however you wish. Completely agree. From my point of view, that's that's how it should be done. But this sort of leads into. The big thing, which is like when you have disabilities, it's not really the day-to-day -day life that is affected that much after you figure out how to do everything, but it's the social situation. So um, it's like bringing it back to school. Yeah. What were your like biggest obstacles starting school and going into that, especially secondary school, when you're aware that, you know, things are changing, going through puberty, all of these things, but those obstacles start in secondary school where the schools tend to be bigger, you know, the people are yeah, yeah. still curious, but less, you know, understanding, not less understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I, I think secondary schools is, is such a big, big time for anyone. I mean, whether you've got a disability or not, it's probably one of the most stressful times of your life, but I think the, the, the hardest points for me were like trying to adapt, like I said, the scenario of both of us having physical impairments, particularly with me being a wheelchair user, like it was the size of the school had a big impact because I was always tired. So I tried to aim for a school that had longer lessons, which then meant that I was moving around less. So like, for example, my secondary school used to have hour and a half lessons instead of having like five a day, you'd have like four, which meant that there was less moving around. Um, but on the flip side of that, there was a lot more focus that was involved. And then it was things like I really struggled with my handwriting and particularly when I was in year seven and eight, they really pushed me with my handwriting and then suddenly realized 
oh wait, yeah, he's not, no matter how much training we do with him, he's never going to be able to do this. And then realize, okay, let's give him a laptop and see how he gets on and wondered why my grades shot up massively. Um, <laughs> um, so that was another one was just like the trying to get the right support system in place for me when I was younger. So that was the biggest, I think one of the bigger challenges academically was finding the right support. Cause I actually found that having a scribe had a huge impact on my um, school life in terms of like how much information I was able to take in, how much, um, and then how much that impacted on my grade. So actually overall the scribe worked out in, in the long run, the best option, but we didn't realize that till quite late on. Um, so that had an impact on me academically in terms of socially. Um, one thing I always say is my mistake in my early years of secondary school was that classic thing of, look, I want, I want to be popular. I want to be in with the cool kids, quote unquote. Um, so like I was constantly working to try and get into that group where actually like looking back at it, it wasn't where I fit it. It wasn't where I fitted. It wasn't like someone, some people that I could connect with on a, on a, on a concrete level. So my biggest piece of advice for anyone or anyone, it doesn't matter if you've got a disability or not, but particularly if you've got disabilities, find a group of friends that you really connect with. Don't try and stay away from the social norm of like wanting to be with the popular people. Because the problem is when you're disabled, you do, you do need people around you that you can trust and rely on because there is support that you need. But the nice thing is if you can get that circle moving in the right direction, that doesn't become one of those awkward conversations of, oh, crap, I can't put my shoes on. I need someone to do it for me. Oh, this is really awkward. Whereas realistically now with my friends, no one bats an eyelid. Normally it's like, so who's putting Charlie's shoes on? It's normally a whole discussion. It's like, guys, I just need someone. I don't care who. Um but yeah, so that would be my big thing is find a group that you can really connect with. And also that like they see like to use a cliche, but like they see you for you. Like one of my favorite things is like probably our connection point in my group of friends is our sense of humor. We've all got really dark senses of humor. There's none of that about like our, my disability. My disability comes into the jokes because, you know, it's just easy. But um, yeah, I think that would be my big thing is find a group that you can connect with because then your school life is going to be so much easier. And also as well, I think those people helped me get to a point where I accepted my disability a lot quicker than when I was constantly battling to try and find a social group. So that would be my other massive benefit is it will help you mentally because you're not draining yourself trying to constantly find your group if that makes sense i mean it's not even to do with disabilities the sort of core of it isn't it the core is find you know make friends with people who you actually have similarities with and that you know that you're going to get on with and not yeah. try and become the coolest person in in the school just because you want to be the coolest person in the school and anyway i think being yourself i mean I was guilty of this too as well. You know, you weren't, you're not true to yourself, but if you are true to yourself, you're much more naturally than to become, you know, one of the cool kids. But even if it doesn't matter, I mean, then to become a cool kid in your eyes, which is all that matters. And yeah. with that, yeah, exactly. you're true to yourself and you'll be much better off in that situation. But it's also yeah. when you have friends that actually care for you, um, I'm sure that you've, I mean, you can tell me a bit about this in a second, but they, after a while, they find out when you need help and when you don't need help. Yes. Completely. And it's kind of, what's the word? It's like telepathic or you, you yeah. know what I mean? It's Com Yeah, completely. Like it becomes just part of routine. Like for example, one, uh, one area, like we spoke about obviously the transition between classes in secondary school, particularly when I got to post, uh, when I got to post 16 to sixth form, um, it, that obviously all changes and your schedule changes. But one thing I did, I do always look back on and go, that was like the sign that we were, we, I had a good friendship group around me. So oftentimes I'd roll out of classes and my mate would be stood outside waiting because he knew that my next class was a fair distance away and it was a lot quicker for him to just give me a boost along the way um and things like that so like it just happens over osmosis because i know his routine he knows my routine and it kind of worked out and it works out and then that's the other thing as well that takes away the awkwardness like i always find like 
when you bring a new person in, it's that whole, you got to do that learning process again of this is what I do need help with, this is what I don't need help with. Whereas like when it's someone you know, it's a very different discussion. Like I always used to joke of like, when we were talking about um, secondary school and obviously girlfriends and everything come into the mix, I always used to joke and say, you need a, I need like a handbook that I can just hand over and be like, right, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. Don't ask me to do this. And, and like, but that's the worst thing. I think that's the most awkward bit is the constant having to teach people. And I think that's also what people, what the SEB community can sometimes get a little bit frustrated with is that constant like, oh, I'm teaching again, I'm teaching again, I'm teaching again. But then again, by teaching, I got myself to the point where I don't need to do it anymore because my friends and the circle around me know exactly what I can and can't do. And they also know almost when to step in if someone is overstepping and say, look, he's absolutely fine, leave him to it. Because um, I think as well, a lot of the time, particularly as a wheelchair user, things look like we're struggling a lot more than we are because we have our own systems in place. We know what we're doing. We know how it works. But as an outside perspective, I go, I'll use me getting my wheelchair in a car. That looks like I'm one second away from falling over. And I know it as an outsider's perspective, but I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly what the task entails and I know exactly how to keep myself safe. But as an outside outsider, it doesn't look that way. Yeah, it looks like you always need help. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, so when you made the friendship group, it all sort of puts into synergies yeah. and everyone knows what they're doing. But does it sort of, once you've made that core group of friends, did it sort of hold you back from making new friends? Because as you say, you need a, well, everyone, I mean, I also needed a hand, but I hated explaining from, you know, start to finish yeah, to yeah. every new person. I've got this, I can't use my leg, my hands weak, and all of this yeah, stuff. I, I, and then it, I, sorry, it drains on you. That's what it does. It drains. Yeah. Especially when you're meeting a lot of new people at once. So does it, I mean, yeah. Did it prevent you from getting I th more friends? I think it was a mix of both. Group? I think it was a mix of both. I think for me, it was a case of like, because I had that core group, they could almost teach, like, almost teach each other of like, um, they knew exactly what to do so they could explain it. But then also on the flip side of that as well, they could explain it from their perspective. So it was almost like people could pick it up quicker because they were explaining it from a able-bodied person's perspective instead of my perspective um but then on the flip side of that i would say the one argument i would say particularly i've noticed recently is it probably made me too comfortable that was probably my biggest another issue that i didn't realize till like not uh to be brutal, probably quite recently of like i got myself too comfortable of like always moving in the same circle um so then it put barriers up in terms of me making new friendship groups and things like uh, new friends and stuff like that and creating new relationships um so that would probably be a, a caveat to it is yes like i don't didn't struggle too much with constantly having to teach people how to support me but then also it did have an impact on me almost being too comfortable and and, and not push myself to get myself out there and meet new people and experience new things yeah i i, I can understand that because yeah, there, there is a time I think, I think friends notice it. I mean, you start, I mean, when you start getting friends, you explain and they notice you having the same conversation with so many people. So it gets to a point, well, at least in my case that my friends sort of, I couldn't even get a word out. I can't, couldn't even start to explain what was, they would yeah. just start automatically. I mean, yeah, it's good and it's bad. I mean, sometimes you're, Sometimes you want to do it yourself because you're just like, I can explain it in more detail. And sometimes they leave out, yeah. you know, small but important details that I, that I think are important. But yeah, I mean, I think it's hard it's as well. You know, you, you know, it comes from a good place and you know that it's not intended to be like them overstepping. They're almost trying to help you out because they know you're sick of explaining it. But then it's that whole thing of like when everyone speeds through it, like you say, you can miss out on the smaller details of like why certain things are important and why you need to think about this. And but then also on the flip side, that there are like there are elements that you can't. It sounds weird, but you can't teach. Like there's elements like I 
watching my friends or my partner position my wheelchair and trying to explain to people like a lot of people when they position a wheelchair they put it up on top of the person transferring now from someone who maybe has a spinal injury or something like that that makes complete sense because they can do a like almost a i can't remember what it's called but like a shuffle transfer that makes sense but from someone from my perspective i can stand and i prefer to stand step and sit back but i need enough space to do that so it's all those little things that people don't realize and that's what another thing that you commonly realize with having a friendship group that are constantly supporting you is those little although we talk about little details they forget it's also those little details that you that are uh, important then try you literally like one of my things that i always find really hard is trying to explain how i can like because i can walk with the support of someone so like if i'm holding on to someone i can walk with them but they almost have to shift my balance but trying to explain that to someone who's completely new is really hard because like they're like how do i do that and i'm like I don't it's know easy. how to phrase it's, it. Yeah. Just trial and error. Just, just, I'll just, show you. But so it sounds like that when you meet new people, do they assume that you've got a spinal cord injury and that, you know, that your legs are paralyzed, for example, and that it's much worse than it is? Yeah, all the time. Like that, that assumption's always been there since I was very young of like the whole oh, you must be paralyzed, you can't use your legs, or there's the other common misconception that anyone with a disability is has uh, verbal communication difficulties. That's another one that's constantly thrown around. And like the one my pet hates is when they ask the person who's with me rather than me directly. That's one of the things that really frustrates me. Like, oh, does he take sugar? I don't know, I'll ask him. Like, it's, it's just common sense. Yeah, that is, I mean, I haven't had much of that, but I have, I mean, I have had a few times and they just, autom- just even, I mean, I'm, I walk stand pretty much normally, but even so they still ask your friends or whoever you're with, like questions that they can ask you and you can answer within a second. It's the trivial questions that don't really, you know. Yeah. Exactly, exactly like how does he take his coffee or how does he take his tea or you know these yeah. sorts of things well it's like that i get it all the time at airports like they'll go to the person i'm with can he walk and it's like ask him like he's the disabled person not me so well that's an, that's an interesting question actually do your friends and family always rebound the question back to you so they tell whoever's asking to ask you or do they sometimes the, ask it or do they do sometimes answer it themselves they i think it's more particularly like um I, it's a very case by case basis like my friends are less so of like rebounding the question more so i think my partner does the rebounding quite a lot obviously um my partner works within inclusive marketing and also obviously has been around me for six years. So she knows what frustrates me, what doesn't, and also what should happen from like a, from a good ethical standpoint. So like, I think the pushback comes more from um, my more passionate friends is probably a way to put it. And then also comes from my partner a lot because she knows it's one of the things that really frustrates me. Yeah. That means I can see that it's, like it will be yeah case by case basis so now that we've talked about sort of the general living aspects school and all of this stuff do you where do you think if you could let's say you were prime minister for a day or minister of education for a day what would you change about schools to make it much easier uh schools I would just, I think a lot of it's to do with education in terms of educating the educators and educating everyone that's involved in that process. So first things first, I would educate more people on disability as a whole. Because the more knowledge they have, the more they're going to be able to support the community. I don't think there's necessarily much that I would change drastically in terms of like experiencing education. I think with that education of teaching the professionals and stuff more about disability, they're going to be a lot more aware of what support might be required by certain individuals and things like that so i think for me a lot of it's to do with 
raising awareness for disability. But one caveat I would say is um, the one thing I do believe needs to happen is there needs to be more support. Well, this is for, from not even a disability perspective, but, but just everyone. There just needs to be more support for the education system, but particularly for those of us that have disabilities and want to access or need to access a specialist setting. Um, that needs to change. That is one of the biggest things. Like, There's just not enough schools. They keep building new houses and they keep doing all these things to communities, but no one's considering the impact that has on schooling because if you're bringing more people in to a city or a town you need more schools need more. but for some reason that's being bridged over which then is having an adverse effect on those that have disabilities because we're the ones that need more uh, slightly more support but because of the pressure on the education system at the moment it's difficult to access that support because of the pressures that are, are being put on that certain area so that would be probably probably where I'd more focus my energy probably doesn't answer your question fully but yeah no, no, it gives, that would... it gives it, yeah, I mean it, it gives a more rounded answer which is which is nice because that actually leads me on to something else because as you say they're building more houses which brings in more people but they're not building enough infrastructure for the schools yeah so what do you think that that effect will be in the work scenario because people forget about the office scenarios yeah um yeah yeah um which actually leads me on quite nicely to a project that i've been working on for a while um so i do think there needs to be a lot more support when it comes to disability and employment there needs to be a complete overhaul of the system um because as an individual that left school okay that was five six years ago but when i left school um I applied for probably uh, in the hundreds jobs and most of the time when I did get an interview, they suddenly realised I had a disability and then weren't able to accommodate me, whether it be for prejudices, whether it be because of physical access needs in t terms of the building. Um, so there needs to be so much work in terms of how disabled people can benefit in a work environment in terms of benefiting companies and organisations. I think it comes back to that point that I said earlier of um, uh, raising the education of disability when it comes to individuals that are in those positions of hiring. The more knowledge they have, the more willing they're going to be to hire someone with a disability. Because I think so much of it's this old school thought of like, oh, it's hard work. You've got to do all these changes. Whereas actually when you go into it, some of the changes are very minor very small changes like one of the ones that really frustrated me and a lot on the community was I'd asked to work remotely a number of times and be told no because I was too young I couldn't be trusted then a pandemic hits yes it was a negative but from a business point and a, and a disability employment point had a huge impact on improving like people's availability to work because that argument wasn't even an argument anymore because everyone was working from home. So that was another thing. It's just it's just people being open to change and working differently. So one of and the reason why I say it brought me onto a topic I'm quite passionate about is because I'm actually in the process or with a business partner of building a consultancy to almost like go into businesses and explain how they can benefit from hiring disabled people because of their lived experiences, their different viewpoints, and also how they're missing out on talented individuals purely for the fact of you're saying, oh, I can't fit a ramp or my employee with autism can't have um, an assistance worker or whatever it might be because of the lack of awareness of what that actually entails because it's all been blown out of proportion. It comes back to the point we said earlier of like, it, it's been swelled up in this whole, well, what can we say? What can't we say? What can we do? What can't we do? What ha what do we have to do? What's really expensive? What's really cheap? It gets caught up in that whole swell of oh, disabilities. Is, yeah, it's all like this complicated thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's well to bring it back. It is like like you say, it's that political correctness of what can we do? What can't we do? So it just gets caught in this like 
horrible pit of no one knowing what to do and everyone was just sort of sat there looking at each other going i know we should do this but where do we start so that's the big thing i think employment from a disability standpoint it just everything needs to change everything needs to change because i even when i left school i i i came up school with very good grades in in the sector of like performing arts and 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 being involved in that industry but the main reason i didn't pursue a career wasn't because i didn't enjoy it it was because i didn't see the longevity in it because i knew that i was constantly going to be cast to type and how many guys in wheelchairs do you see cast in tv shows and films yes it's getting better but was there a fully fledged career at the time when i left school probably not probably so not. i made the executive decision of going i'm going to go down a slightly different route but that also meant that i was leading away from my passions and on top of that, another thing was traveling. I live probably a 40 minute train ride into London. Now everyone said to me, okay, Charlie, you now decide that you want to go into marketing, go into London, go work for a big marketing firm, make a good amount of money, do this, do that. But then no one considered, wait, actually getting on a train's really stressful for you because you have to sort out the assistance and if the train stops and everything else, that yeah, all played into my decision. Yeah. Yeah, I can. So that has yeah, had I an impact on my career, everything that I do, because of the infrastructure not being there to support me. And then that means that, and I'm not saying this to put anyone off if they listen to this as a disabled individual. It's just about thinking about, like we all constantly have to do, thinking about things in a different way of attacking it in terms of where we want to get to because a lot of the time we have to do it of our own accord because people are moving too slowly for us so yeah, yeah. you've set me off on a bit of a tangent i apologize um yeah it's a no but big it's, area it's, of it's a good tangent because i can add to it because they're missing well they're missing a whole or you know corporate offices are missing a whole big section of the population and as you said disability people think in different ways because we have to look at our problems can't do it that way so you have to you know look at it from a different angle we can do it that way and the applications that we can transfer to you know we can use that knowledge and that way of thought and transfer it to different situations but they don't see because they don't know it they don't seem to think yeah. of the value that that can bring i mean i finished university six months before COVID-19. So I thought in my head, I'm going to get a job. So I'm going to spend six months enjoying, you know, the summer holidays and then applying for jobs. Nothing, nothing happened. So basically I, I basically employed myself and became a freelancer, changed career completely. I mean, I graduated with finance and accounting. And now look at me, I'm doing podcasts and things. So from that, do you think, well, question number one is, do you think the ability to freelance now because of COVID is much more open and you can basically employ yourself? Do you think that gives people with disabilities more sort of opportunities? And do you think question number two is, how do you think, do you think doing that will enable corporations to see what disability people with disabilities can do because they'll hire them you know through their freelance offerings i think it's hard because i think the difficulties we have is with the answer to the first part of your question of people being able to find ways to employ themselves and and create their own incomes and be their own in in their own control i think that's a very um two-sided argument of one um yes that's great because then it gives them full control but then on the flip side of that if you take someone that's chronically ill they then they work for themselves they get put they get ill they can't they can't sustain it because it's not their fault they're ill but they're not getting paid so then there's that whole argument of how do we better support the chronically ill community um and then with your point your second part of the question where in terms of like would it help our imaging towards employers to see if they can employ us i think it's difficult because i think the bit where we're struggling is the prejudice 
pre the prejudices that people already have of disability. So that's not really, it's not really a, um, uh, like a, it's, how do I explain this? It's not necessarily that they can't see us and don't believe in our talent. It's because in their head, they're already thinking, oh, if I hire Charlie, he's got a disability, which will mean he needs this support. When actually, probably, if you have a discussion with me, if I'm working from home as a freelancer, I don't need anything. Leave me alone, I can do the job. But in their head, they're thinking, oh my God, he's disabled, I've got to do all this stuff. That's what they're thinking. So that's the main part of the problem, is getting rid of this whole letting, allowing employers to see individuals for themselves and not for their disabilities and decomplicating that whole thing of what it means to be disabled and what support's going to need to be put in place because I think everyone sees it as this expensive, time-consuming thing that's going to take up resources. Whereas actually, if you're hiring just on skill set and we're working from home, it's not any of the equation because a lot of people, a lot of people that work from home have already got the support systems. If they need screen reader software, they probably got it. If they need a bigger screen, they probably got it. Like you don't have to do anything, but in their head, they built it up. That is all true, especially and just adding to that from an accounting perspective, you have to write most of that off, you know, with it, you know, expenses because, you know, they're catering for their employees. So they get benefits out of it as well. So there's really no excuse, but adding that, you know, when you're applying for jobs, there's always at the bottom, the disability box. Yeah. <laughs> now the government say, you do not need to let your employer know if you have a disability when you're applying for disabilities, when you're applying for jobs. Yeah. So do you think we should just get rid of that box? Um, no, it's tough because by ticking that box, if you get the right employer, it means that they're more like, this is the thing we we're talking about the, the majority of people have lack of understanding disability. Like if, if we can just say that as a, as a, benchmark at the moment we do need to do a lot more to for awareness of disability but there are a few employers where that information actually helps them because they are forward-thinking and they are thinking okay charlie's made this application for this job role if he ticks this box then i can be a lot more forward-thinking in terms of right okay charlie's in a wheelchair he's probably going to need an accessible parking space let's make sure one of those is booked out for him let's make sure the the service guy isn't blocking the ramp up to the front door like it creates this environment where people are a lot more informed but on the flip side of that there is still all um discrimination that happens in terms of people being fearful of hiring someone with a disability but so i think it's a double-edged sword and i don't think there's a right or wrong answer i think by yeah, informing it's... your employer you're in a better position and to be honest it's kind of it's testing the water because if an employer sees down an application and shuts you down completely straight away, do you want to work for them? Because when you come up against, oh, Charlie, you need this surgery six months down the line, it's going to be a very tricky conversation. Whereas if it's a forward-thinking um, employer, they're going to think, yeah, okay, no worries. Go, boy, you got to do what you got to do. So yeah, it's that it's... that's a tricky, tricky one. It's never, there's never a perfect answer, but I think it has its place being there. Um, and I think as well, it doesn't blindside the employer. It's this, it's the same argument, but everyone asks me all the time, should I put my disability on my dating profile? Catch 22. Uh, I was, for, for, oh, for, I mean, if we're moving on to dating, I never, I never put it on my dating profile. It's like, oof, I'd say for me. Because mine, you can't really see that I have a disability, so it's a little different. I normally tell them if I know it's going to go somewhere. Because yeah. if, if it's not going to go anywhere, there's no point in telling them because, I mean, it brings us back to, you know, 20 minutes ago when we were talking about having to have the handbook and explain everything from the script from scratch. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, for me, it's like I would tell them maybe third date, second third date that's for me i mean everyone is different what how how do you explain it i think i think obviously it's different on individuals like i can't i mean i suppose you can take a photo from like here and you'll be all fine but um in terms of like if you particularly obviously being quite involved in the social media space as soon as you scroll down my feed you can be able to see me a guy in a wheelchair so it's 
yeah, it's like, what's the point? I'm, I'm, I'm messing you and myself around. But then it's the whole thing of, for me, it's what a catch twenty two. Like I still haven't figured out the right answer because I didn't meet my partner on a dating website. I we met by just fluke. Um, so for me, the it's still really exactly, exactly. But then I think as well, there was none of that preconceptions because it kind of just happened by osmosis and it just kind of happened. But in terms of the disability dating profile scenario, the hardest thing with it is one. Uh, it might get someone in. The, so by not including it, you might get someone in the door and then be able to talk them around and explain them, explain it and educate people on disability and, and everything works out. But then on the flip side of it, they could turn up and go, well, you didn't talk me that in the first instance. Now, while that is a little bit of a, a sharp, sharp way to look at it, it is also you you haven't been truthful and it doesn't set a good example for the relationship. Now you have your own reasons for doing that. And I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't do it because I completely understand the thought process behind it. But having said that, then if you disclose it and then you're not getting any traction or people don't see you because they've got the uh, preconceptions of disability in their head, then it becomes a, Oh, should I leave it out? Because then I can get people in the door, but then also comes back to that same argument of, if like if, if they've come in with a preconception that a disability is going to be a problem, do you want them fi- finding out later down the line? Because is that it's, an individual comes, that you're going to be with? It comes back down to that double-edged sword, doesn't it? There's no yep. one. I think it's also a case-by-case basis. and Exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, it comes down to it's up to you, but it's also, you know. Double-edged swords. I think with disability, there's a lot of double-edged sword stuff that, you know. Yeah. I think as well. There's no perfect answer. A lot of it comes from um, just people's uh, conceptions, like death pre-programmed thought about disability and the way it all works. Like if we could get actually, I know it's not possible, but if we could get rid of that, the whole thing goes away because I am just going to, from an employment perspective, I am just going to be judged on my skill set and my ability to do the job role. Same goes for the dating. It's the, it's the same as the job job description. Am I going to be a good partner? Are we going to be a good fit? That's what this is judged on. It's not judged on do I have a disability, but it all comes down to people's preconceptions that they've been programmed with that they're viewing life through. Now, that's no one's fault. That's the worst thing about it because... It might you could say, oh, it's the parents' fault, but then you can then pass that blame on to the parent before that, and then you can go, you can literally just keep going and going and going and going. But the the thing that changes it is people the willingness to learn. If they're willing to learn, you can you can fix it. Is if the person has this viewpoint, yeah, you it's can't all change. If they got a fixed education. mindset, they could be completely ignorant on the matter. But if they're willing to learn, that's all. That's all I need, and then. Yeah. You know, you take it from there. First, the people exactly... who are unwilling to learn that you can't, you can't do much with them. Unfortunately, yeah. it's exactly what we were speaking about earlier. Of like, young kids have the best mindset for it because they're literally like a sponge. They just want to know. They're just curious. They, they, there's no malice behind it. They just want to know, and it's that's how we need to be as adults. Don't be like. I think there's a common misconception that you can't. You can't ask a question without it sounding as if there's malice, but I think there's so much to do with it. Like if I'm a big believer of like, you can see in someone's body language, the, the way they, they poise the question, their tonage, you can see where that question's coming from. So it's about just being genuine. That's the biggest thing is just be genuine with your, with your questions because most of us don't have an issue answering it because we do it on the daily. Like the thing is, people ask me like, "Oh, don't you ever get sick of answering the question?" And it's hard because one, obviously, difficult because the spaces are moving as a content creator. But all, so my view is, if I can make the world better for the next Charlie by sitting and having a ten-minute conversation with this numpty that's had too many beers, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> like, it's. It's yeah, it's really tricky, and I yeah. completely understand the argument of why do we constantly have to be advocates for ourselves, but then I come back to someone's got to do it because otherwise it's just going to get worse. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's all about the balance. And if we get the balance right, that's all that really matters at the end of the day, I think. But yeah, I mean, this comes down to it. This leads me on to a very interesting question, actually. And it's quite deep if you think about it. But if you could relive your whole life without your disability, would you, if you had a choice, relive your life from scratch without your disability, with everything, with just without any, without any knowledge that you had a disability, or would you continue your life as it is? Funny enough, I answered this question on my Instagram the other day. Um, Did so you? I, uh. yeah, my answer <laughs> to this question is God, no, is, is the answer. And the reason for that is I can't seem to look back at it and go, well, most people expect me to say yes because they want me to go, oh, but you'd be able-bodied, you'd do this, you'd do that. I think one of the opportunities that I've been given through either my social media work or just from being a disabled person and being in the community, like, for example, I've been to London Fashion Week. I've, I've been a model of London Fashion Week. Now, how many able-bodied folk can say that? Not Maybe many, I can, I can tell so, you, not many. Yeah, so, and then it's like, and then I come back to all the people I've met. I'm sat on this podcast now. I run my own podcast. All the different people, perspectives, and everything that I've learned has made me the individual I am. Because I think one of the biggest benefits of being part of the so community is you are, you're all connected by this one thing because you've all got something that's slightly different about you. But then that also brings in so many different cultures, so many different races, so many different sexualities. So it then means that when I'm having conversations about I don't know, uh, the whole trans situation at the moment, the non-binary situation at the moment, or what it's like over in Spain or whatever, whatever that conversation might be, I, I have a much more, like, I'm not saying I fully understand those topics, but I have something that I can pull out to say I do have some knowledge on this topic and I have sat around people and learned that, that those things. Because a lot of the time people don't, because it's like what we spoke about earlier, the people that you expose yourself to when getting too comfortable. But then on the flip side of that, because of my disability and having to rely on other people quite often, it then allowed me to go more personal in my relationships and learn more. So then for me, it's made me more of a well-rounded uh, individual. And it gives me so much more perspective from those that are like from a different background, different race. Um, different financial status it's given me so much knowledge that I wouldn't necessarily have and that's why I would never give it back because unfortunately like I still have that view of like my disability is part of who I am and if I didn't have it I wouldn't necessarily be Charlie plus I always come back to if I wasn't disabled I'd probably just want to do what everyone else does which is I'd probably coming from a quite a heavy football background family wise I'd probably want to be a professional footballer would probably fail miserably and would probably end up in some random job role that I didn't expect to be in <laughs> so it's yeah I yeah very it's ha hard one to type fully explain but I think for me just no I I, I like who I am now and it's also that our argument of the devil you know at least I know I know what I'm getting uh, at this point yeah I think it's also that you have to think, well, for me, I, I think my personality would be so much different. Yeah. Because yes. your per my yeah. personality is, you know, my disability is built into my personality. If I didn't have my person, if I didn't have my disability, my personality would be completely different. I might have been a complete, you know, horrible person. I don't know. And I don't want to find out. I like who I am. No, so I'm the same. I'm gonna just. I'm the same. I definitely wouldn't have a dark sense of humor that I've got now. I mean, I think the dark sense of humor comes with being disabled because yep. we just we just don't care. Like you can tell us anything. We're like, you know, we heard half of it before. So yeah, exactly, exactly. It's yeah. I found people get offended when I use self-deprecating humor on myself, even though I am saying it to myself if you yeah understand. i get what you mean yeah i get i get what you mean like i've had it before like don't call yourself disabled don't you're not wheelchair bound you're not this you're not that like the thing is like 
I can go by whatever the hell I want to go by. Like, if I have a belief system that says I'm a flipping carrot, I'm a flipping carrot. Like, I, I, I don't get people's thing of like, look, if I've said it, I'm okay with it. I wouldn't have said it if I'm not okay with it. Now, it's a very different argument, and it's a very complex argument of people say like, do you? Does that mean that other people can join in and calling you that term or whatever it might be? And I think it's all down to, like we said earlier, it's all down to the intent behind it. Like, if yes. one of my friends is using a, like, if in a humorous setting, one of my friends is using a derogatory term that they heard me use before, but they know it's going to get a giggle out of me, that's a very different conversation to if it's said with malice behind it. If it's said with malice behind it, now obviously there's a caveat to that of like someone trying to join join in on the joke that's not in on the joke, and then it becomes a little bit awkward because then there is an element of malice behind it because it's like, whoa, you don't even know me. But yeah. I think it's it's so hard to find the right answer when it comes to that because people, particularly in the sample community, they're like, yeah, but you're encouraging the problem if you do that, and I'm like, look, if I can't take the piss out of myself. And my friends can't take the piss out of me. Then who the like? What a boring life this is going to be. Like, I mean, yeah, it comes down to it's the it's how well you know the person, and it's you know with if it's with malice. Like, I have a few friends. I take the piss out of them. It's it's basically I take the piss out of them. They yeah. take the piss out of me. But you know, yep. it, that's that's all it is. It's just. We have different material to and play if, with. That's that's all it is. Exactly. And every show after they'll come out with one, and you're like, oh, you're that's like, quite original. Oh, that's really dark, but that's quite original. I like that. It's like, I, I always say to people who, who question me on it, it's like, well, there has to be some perk of being disabled, you know, yeah. outside of the normal situations. So, yeah. Yeah. And if you don't have humor, I mean, I mean, the thing is, I think this comes back to what we talked about before. Like, it's difficult because there's so many layers to it. And I'm not saying this is the perfect answer or this is the viewpoint we should all take. But, like, disability is such a... Everyone treats it as such a serious conversation. And it's like, it doesn't need to be. Because I think, as we, we said at the beginning of the podcast, the best, like, the best education you can do is with some humour. Because, as well, that then gives you something to latch on to of like oh i remember like actually it's that whole realization of when someone does something that's catchy or funny you then think back to that and then you remember what they're actually teaching you behind it and it's a really weird thing that happens in the brain but it's it's, it is so hard when it comes to disability because so many people do treat it as such a serious topic and those are people both within the community and outside of the community so then it becomes a bit of like a a tug of war between individuals like myself that want it to be an open and friendly conversation and want people to learn while also feeling quite comfortable and then on the flip side of that you've got other individuals that have different belief systems so it's just hot it's it's really it's, hard yeah. like all of this is very like we, i think the trend of this podcast is literally it's all it's all double-edged, double-edged. i know the yeah. title of this podcast now double-edged yeah, sword double-edged that's, that's, sword that's that's the title and I've, I've sorted it beautiful <laughs> I, mean, I mean it is this is what we've discovered this is what we've discovered everything is a double-edged sword this yeah yeah literally that's all that all it is like the thing is it all just depends on who you ask you come up to someone like me I'll joke around with you. I I will try my best to make the conversation as comfortable as possible. Other individuals don't want to have that conversation. Other individuals want to have it, but in a very serious setting. It's just there's too many different takes on it. And obviously, we're all human. Everyone's got a different take, and we have to unfortunately respect that. But then I think it then makes it difficult for some of the community because they don't know what they're getting. They don't know whether they're getting someone who's more laid back or someone who's more serious or someone that's uncomfortable it's it's yeah i'm gonna go we can go round and round circles i think the key for well us and people with disabilities when they're trying to educate people is adaptability if we can adapt to you know the level of seriousness that you want to 
engage with us, yeah, then that makes it easier for everyone. I think that's what we have to do to educate. That's the caveat that we have to take. You know, if someone wants to be yeah. serious with us, let's be serious with them. If someone wants to be joke, jokingly with us, we can joke with them. But if we're in control of yeah. the narrative, then we can always gauge the situation and keep it educational and not let it go to mal- to malice or anything like that. So I think that's the onus. The onus on the education is with us. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it is. It's all down to the way in which the situations you find yourself in. And like you say, it's it's that making the judgment call on the situation that you're in and going, what is the most appropriate response? I think my uh, often mm, concern is that unfortunately people do want to, unfortunately, even though like we're trying to move away from it, people do group people. And my constant fear is like, if the wrong individual approaches a topic, then that means that that topic is very tricky for that individual to actually discuss in an open and friendly way. Um, but it is, like you say, it's all down to judging the scenario. And I think as well, it's just about having that conversation with the wider community and saying, look, we are all different like everyone else. So although this person might not be comfortable answering the question, <clears throat> um, to, to then pass them on to someone else and i think that's what i'd love to see the shepherd community doing more of going look this person wants to find out about this topic so primarily uh, i use myself as an example not many people have have covered intimacy when it comes to disability now not many people are comfortable discussing that topic for obvious reasons however i i am an individual that has spoken about it before so if someone comes to you christian and says I want to look like, tell me about your sex life. And you're like, nah, but I'm, I'm just, it's not me. You I can mean, then. I'm the re- person. I'll just, I'll tell them every, every detail. <laughs> well, mo- not Fair every enough. detail, but most, most details, most details. Fair enough. There you go. So, but then if you're not an individual like that, you can redirect. Like I wouldn't ever comment on what it's like to have autism. I would never comment on that because I don't have any lived experience of it. I have some knowledge on it. So I'd share that to what extent I can. But I think we're better off pointing in the world that we're in. We're better off pointing in terms of educators, creators, or whatever that space might be and going, I can't talk on it. He can. Because then you're going to get the right information. But then also we yeah, can direct. A trusted source. Exactly. Or as well, we can, yeah. like, it's almost like, again, we come back to that whole dating thing. Of if, if I also know from our interaction, I can go, okay, this guy's quite funny. He likes a bit of a sense humor and then i can go right okay this person's the best person to direct them to rather than someone who's a bit more academic a little bit more serious wants the nitty-gritty details like then you can point in a different direction so i think that's what we want to do is create almost like a referral culture but i don't know whether we're going to get there because that is a little bit of formal referral culture thinking about it now referral culture would be good would actually solve a lot of problems having a referral culture maybe it would uh, maybe I'll yeah. think about it and implement it at some point. Go on, sorry. My no, cool. final point is, what are you looking forward to in the future? What am I looking forward to in the future? Um, lots of different things. I think I'm really excited to see where my consultancy that I mentioned earlier is going to end up. I'm really excited to see where that ends up. Obviously, really excited to see where my constant pushing forward with my social media is going to end up and the opportunities that are going to come with that. But as a more personal thing, um, I'm looking forward to in the next sort of year or so, I want to do a lot more traveling and a lot more like exploring the world. So very much looking forward to that and documenting what that's like as a disabled person, particularly with all the, the, the news we've had recently when it comes to particularly flying with a disability. Um, so I'm looking forward to showing that and, what our experiences are that and then the other thing as well like I mentioned earlier is I'm loving the fact that at the moment I'm very much open to connecting with different people meeting up with different people push myself to like uh, as we said earlier not moving my constant circle like my close friends and try and get away from that so that's another thing that I'm looking forward to seeing the progression of that and me getting more and more comfortable in that situation because i think it's really weird as well because as a 
extroverted person and someone who is very much a social person i i do really well with like communicating with others so like if i'm out in a group i'm fine like talking to others and talking to people i don't know but i'm very different in terms of meeting up with someone or meeting up with a group that i don't have someone in the group that's like well versed in me so i'm moving away from that and uh, excited to see where that ends so up. throwing yourself in the deep end almost kind of <laughs> all right well thank you very much charlie that was it was great speaking to you on this episode so i hope you have a great week because it is only monday thank you and yeah maybe we'll talk in the future again definitely thank you for having me thank you charlie for coming on to the disability podcast if you want to learn more about charlie we have linked all the relevant links in the show notes but for now it's time to end the episode and we look forward to seeing you back on the next episode of our disability podcast coming soon